Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside and outside of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Jim Horton. And uh, tonight we have a special guest, Michael Pritchard. Now, I have Michael's bio here in front of me, so I'm just going to read about half of it because it goes on and on and on. Dude, you have done more things and have more initials by your name than anyone I have ever met. And and you look like you're 29, so I don't know. <laughs> 40, I'm 46 with grandkids. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Now I, now I really hate you. See, and I barely know you. So anyway, Michael is the owner of Covenant Training and Consulting. Um, he's been employed in the substance use disorder prevention and treatment profession for 11 years. He has a Master of Science degree in addiction counseling. He's a certified as substance use disorder counselor and a DOT qualified substance abuse professional. Um, and again, that's just the first paragraph. He goes on and on. And along with all that, I think, uh, well, this all sounds real nice. So I'm just assuming that you went to high school and then you went to college and you had this uh, storied life and, and you watched a movie one time and you saw that uh, th there was a need for all of this addiction work. It, is that how you got there? No. <laughs> <laughs> no nobody in this field gets there that way. Uh, very, very rare. Um yeah, so so thanks for having me on. First off, I appreciate it. Um, I do I do a lot of work in, in the field. Um, I, I teach part time for Fresno State, and and I work for the County of, of Fresno in behavioral health as well. Currently, over the prevention contracts and and train social workers, and um, my life veered that direction. Um, but my life did not start out that that uh, shiny at all. You know, I, I always say th there's no 14 or 15 year old in high school who says to themselves, well, you know, I want to, I want to go to college to be a drug counselor. Yeah. I, I want to make 14, yeah. I want to make $14 an hour. Yeah. And yeah. And that's about what you, you make or less when you first start for sure. Uh, you know, I, I grew up here. I grew up in, 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 in Clovis. Um, my, my, I was born on Edwards air force base. My, my, my parents were teenage parents and I, um, my dad was a severe alcoholic and he was, him and my mom had, had, had problems. Um, my dad was periodically abusive with my mom and sometimes with my sister. And, and so my mom left him and, and when she left him, um, and came back to Fresno, uh, I was growing up, I always wanted to see my dad, but my mom kept me from my dad. Um, and because he was not always safe to be around. And, and so, um, my dad went to, to Korea overseas when I was about uh, four and a half, five years old, I think five years old. Um, and, and while he was there, his, he, he, um, killed a man in a bar fight in Korea and he was imprisoned there. And when he came back, his alcoholism spiraled out of control. And, um, about a year after he got back, I think it was about a year, um, he was shot and killed in Fresno County, um, in an alcohol related incident. And that just took the wind out of my cells completely. How, how old were you? I was six, happened? I was six years old, six and a half oh, years man. old. And, and so, um, it really had a devastating impact on my life in a variety of different ways. Um, but shortly after that, my mom was a single mom and I had a really good mom. She was just young. And after that I had real behavioral problems and she just did not know how to deal with it. And so, 
Um, I, I had a series of sexual abuse issues happen in my life after that over a course of a two year period, which my mom didn't know about. And so I, I, I just had a lot of, a lot of tra trauma that happened. And then my mom ended up getting remarried later. Um, and I don't feel like the family blended very well over time. Um, I was glad to have this guy in my life, but the way that he dealt with me sometimes, and he was a really good man, um, just, it, it didn't work well for me. Um, that's, that's not what I felt that I needed at, at the time. Anyway, um, so I started um, hanging out with older kids. I kind of checked out of the family, didn't do well in school. And then I, I, um, I was a full blown half a pack a day smoker at 10, alcoholic at 12. Um, I was abusing pills and, and, and experimenting with meth and drinking at 14, 15. I was diagnosed with, with a mental health condition that they put me in Renaissance hospital for, cause I went off my medication and, and flipped out. And, and so I get out, um, I keep using drugs, wouldn't take my medication for very long. And then I had a methamphetamine overdose at 16. My mom had to rush me to the hospital for, and after that, um, you know, I just kept using. And then at 18, I had to go into my second rehab and I did ended up getting clean and sober for a little while, a couple years after that, because I ended up having a son at the same age I was when my dad had me. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be a good dad and me and his, me and his mom eventually split and I went off the rails. And for the next seven years, um, you know, multiple failed relationships had another failed marriage, um, on top of, um, you know, splitting up from his mom and, uh, I, in and out of rehabs, in and out of psychiatric facilities, in and out of um, prison, in and out of jail locally. And then in 2006, I had a spiritual awakening in Soledad State Prison that, that changed me. And when I came back out, I I started mentoring people right away because I was like Bill Wilson. I just wanted to like get back. I had this, I was on this cloud and I was really happy to be clean and sober in this miraculous thing because my mom was planning my funeral when I went in. Um, and the economy bottomed out in 2008. I lost my job. People are like, Hey, uh, Michael, you're already working with people in addiction, go work, you know, with them. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that for a living. And eventually it just kind of veered that direction. I got my certification, um, in a year was getting my undergrad done and went to work for Marjorie Mason center shortly then CPS. While I was at CPS, I started, um, started training internally because I noticed that, um, the social workers that worked there were dealing with addiction constantly really didn't understand the issue. And so I was training public health nurses and then internally. And then uh, I went through social worker core training through Fresno state mandatory social work training. And when I went there, uh, the, one of the trainers saw that I had a, a knack for, you know, teaching and, and training and stuff. And so when I got my graduate degree in addiction studies um, while I was in child welfare, she brought me on to train um, social workers all throughout the 12 counties that they work in. So I did that on the side and then I transferred to behavioral health and I audited drug treatment programs for a while. And, and so behavioral health was like, Hey, um, you train great. Like, let's do this. Let's, let's develop a training and go out and give it to the public. Well, that training took off. It was just a foundational training. Um, I ended up training, you know, therapists and recreational therapists and going and training out at the colleges. I trained at the mosque across the street from Fresno state. They wanted um, a training, um, CIT training for police officers, um, um, physicians at, at UCSF, um, you know, physician interns. It, it was really amazing. It just went everywhere and it continues to go everywhere. So, so now I'm kind of focusing on the church wherever I see there may be some, some stigma education needed around this issue. 
And uh, that's where I met you, of course, at this right. recent training. Right. I, I was going to say it was a couple weeks ago. We were mm-hmm. out at, uh, at, at Clovis Hills, and uh, you and Todd Harris right. uh, uh, were out there. And I had I had seen a I had seen the flyer online about about what you were doing, and 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 I got to say it was I, I mean it was it was so much wonderful information that came there, and and, and things that I wish that I'd known. And we had a discussion earlier, and I said, "Gosh, so much of of the, your material." seemed like it would relate, you know, d- directly to people working in the field, which yeah. now I understand it was part of the material that yeah. you put together for them. So talk, talk a little bit, Michael, to us about, about why you decided. So you've been, you've been training social workers, you've been training p- police, you've been training in all of these uh, uh, county places. Why? And then specifically, why bring this message into the church? So, so with allied professionals, there was just, um, you know, people interface with people with substance use disorders all the time. And especially like I I tell professionals that, that I work with, if you work in any kind of human service profession, you are going to deal with it. (laughs) It's just too prevalent. Uh, in our County, it's like 9.32% or something like that, that pre pandemic numbers that they think have an SUD in Fresno County, which is higher than the state average SUD is substance use disorder, by the way, for those listening, if I say SUD. Um, and, and so, you know, they needed the knowledge, um, and people come in with their own biases into that work in general. So I'm always challenging people's biases, uh, in, in dealing with people that have substance use disorders, trying to get them to understand this is a medical issue so that they, so that they treat it as a medical issue. And, you know, I grew up in church and, you know, we have recovery oriented meetings in in church and, um, you know, it, it helps people in in that context kind of like find a social group and and do it through, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the religious beliefs that they adhere to. Um, but I, but they don't, didn't understand the medical aspects of it. And they didn't understand all the risk factors and they didn't, and they don't necessarily understand all the warning signs and the functional impairments that go along so that people don't recognize it before it happens so that they can get people the help they need. And they don't know the resources that are out there. And, and so I said, you know, there's a church on every corner in Fresno. This community is pretty conservative. And a, a lot of, a lot of people go to church and look to um, churches to to help them deal with whatever it is that they're going uh, that's going on in life. If that's the case, then then maybe some, the churches need some of this education um, in addition to what they're already doing, so that maybe we can catch some of this sooner and we know how to deal with people that have this issue more compassionately. That's that was my main goal in trying to do it with the churches. And I and I I I you know I go to church and 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 I love the church, um, and so I I just wanted to give this gift to them. So, so let me ask this because sure. I, I have a I have a uh, a history you know back sure. back in uh, in in I, I attended West Coast Bible College sure. and graduated there in 1983 and so um, a spiritual path was was where I was headed right uh, from when I was young so but. What I've seen a lot, and not just in the church, again, and so I've been to a lot of different right. churches, is that um, church pastors, and I don't think this is unique to any uh, any organization, but uh, they seem to want to control what their flocks are fed. 
They they want to they want to be sure that that and, and so you know to and to each denomination, this is what we believe. This is our creed. This is what separates us from the you know fill in the blank of whoever the other person is. So if you're coming in to a to to a church now now I, I think that the churches that have a celebrate recovery or they have a a, a type of uh, uh, of a recovery program that's already there they're probably you know more more open to you know to learning more about right. it right but I think that's probably a small percentage well so, I, so I, not, I I've had resistance I've had resistance um, over over time where either churches didn't feel like they needed the information or maybe they thought that I was going to come in and talk about things that, that contradicted their beliefs. Um, but I, I got my undergrad in Christian study. I was headed toward, toward ministry too. That's what I wanted to do. And so I think it's advantageous that, that, you know, there's, there's fundamentals of the faith. You know that there's fundamentals right. of the Christian faith that, that they say, no matter what denomination you are, if you're holding to these fundamentals, then you're considered Orthodox. Right. So, you know, you're, 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 you're underneath the, 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 uh, umbrella of orthodoxy. So I, ha, you know, where I went to school and what I believe in what I was taught falls within that. So I feel like I can go into any number of denominations and, and deliver, um, training that doesn't necessarily contradict anything that's being taught because what I, well, and, and let me say that the training that I heard from you, mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was data. It's just it's just factual information. You weren't giving an opinion about anything. This is the percentage of the people that are addicted to this drug in Fresno County. Yeah, period. yeah, you, it was you have, yeah. yeah. Some so, of that at the front end, but also just giving the medical aspects. I mean, we 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 the churches deal with the spiritual part of people, but we're also we live in a body, and and uh, you know our environment has impacts on our on our system, and and there's drugs in the yes. environment, and there's there's reasons why people use, and um, you know I think that. That taking it from from that standpoint, there's there's nothing in, in 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 what I train that that goes against anybody's beliefs per se. I I take um you know a a, a scientific a, a approach, and I just give them information, um you know w- with within the context of, of what they believe. I don't I, I'm real I was real careful in 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 putting this together um to make sure that I didn't do that. And I think I said that in the training like if anybody, you know, heard anything that was, and, and nobody came up to me afterwards. It was just no. information. Yeah, it was just information. Yeah. And, and that's why I said I, it, it was, it, it was phenomenal. And, and and before we end today, I, I certainly want you to give everybody a, a way to be able to contact sure. you sure. and your website and, and phone numbers because, because you, your, your training is, it's just that solid. And it's something that every, every church yeah, you know, if, if you're looking for someone to to come to your church and to and to speak about this, or you're or you're not even sure about it, Michael's a guy to talk to. And and uh, a, again, it's 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 very non-threatening, and there's nothing. Well, and as far as the church goes, I mean, we opened with a prayer and we ended yeah. with a prayer, and and Todd gave the prayer, so it it wasn't short. It was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and the and the thing of it is, is is you know, I will, I I I I train you know, everywhere. And I've, I've never, I've never charged, you know, to the degree that I'm, I'm capable of actually getting out there and, and doing it because I think, I think this knowledge saves, saves lives. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many trainings that I've done where people come up and just say, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know we had those resources in Fresno. I didn't know that, that the drugs up impacted the brain this way. 
um, I now understand the functional impairments and behaviors that result because the symptoms of, of substance use disorder are largely behavioral. You know, when you have diabetes, it's blood sugar, uh, you know, highs and lows. And, and, and that makes sense because, the, you know, the, the pancreas is impaired and it's not producing insulin the way that it should. Well, the, the impaired organ with, with substance use is, is the brain. And that's our thinking center and our emotional centers and stuff. Of course, it's going to result in, in behavior. And when, and when, you know, a compulsive drug seeking happens as a result of brain changes from toxic, toxic exposure to the drugs. And, and there's underlying risk factors that, that, that contributed to the person using drugs and continuing to use them anyway. And there's a long list of risk factors that could be there. Um, you know, we, we really need to, to take that in consideration and we need to, the public needs to understand that because if you don't have compassion around this issue, um, it, it really has resulted in this, this stigma that we're seeing with addiction now. Um, and, and I think it is getting better, but it's by, we have a lot of work to do around this still. Well, and, and we talk a lot on, on, on this show from week to week about the stigma and, and, and my personal story and Zach's story is about how, how the stigma held us back from seeking the help that we, yeah. that we needed to get. Uh, so, but, but taking it a step further, there was something that you talked about in your, uh, in your presentation before that really, that's kind of stuck with me. Uh, and, and again, this is just, a just an, another level every, every week, someone new is on that, that yeah. we get to talk to. And so someone starts treatment, someone is now, uh, medically detoxed from whatever they were doing. So we're 15 to 30 days down the road. Um, the mind is still jacked up for <laughs> several months, right? Yeah, there's, there's, and, yeah. But you, so you had mentioned specifically about dopamine and how that and and how that affected and as you're going through you know your discussion about that my wife and i are thinking about zach and saying oh my god they said every day he'd come in and he would just sleep and you know through everything every day and see we think i'm thinking of that as as a as a, as a real negative thing about him but it was just where his brain was he didn't have a it's it's how it, it was reacting with him so anyway to, to speak about sure. that speak about what that process of someone who is who is working as hard as they can uh, th- through this process of of weaning off of drugs and and wanting to do good? What are some of the challenges that they're that they're facing, and then maybe how do we support that as opposed to demanding more? Yeah. So the important thing I think for people to realize is that cravings persist. Um, you know, and, and this varies according to the type of drug that they're dependent on. Um, but cravings can persist, um, out for, you know, months and sometimes like, you know, up over a year, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, and so when people, a lot of people think that let's just take opioids for an example, because that's on everybody's radar. It produces significant, uh, withdrawal, like you're sick when you don't have them. So people think, well, once we get them detoxed, um, and they're not, and they're not sick anymore, then, then they are going to, they're okay. They're out of the woods. No, um, th- their brain is still, is still sending craving messages. So they're at risk for, for relapse because they're still, their brain's still telling them to pursue that drug that produced high levels of dopamine in their brain because we're pleasure seekers. And, and, uh, by nature, that's what people are. Like we, we pursue pleasure. Pleasure's linked to actually linked to our survival, which you, you heard in my training. I, I, it's hard to do here without visuals. Um, but so, so, so that keeps going for, for quite a while. People will have cravings. Um, and dude, let me say this. Yeah. 
when I finished college, I found a great pizza place in town, BC's Pizza, and it was good. You know how long I went there? Every Friday for over a decade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I kept going back. Yeah. And that's just pizza. Yeah, and that's just pizza. I don't need a visual aid for that. I know I love pizza and I love their pizza. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people people do it. I mean, people do it with coffee too. I ask I ask people when, when when I'm trying to explain addiction, I'm like, how many of you are addicted to caffeine? How many of you have tried to quit? And they're like, well, we've tried, we, we can't. And I'm like, that's just caffeine. Like, you know, methamphetamine's way stronger than that. And so is heroin and 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 so you know, other powerful opioids, even, you know, marijuana. I mean, caffeine is, you know, so there's the craving part that, that, that puts them at risk for relapse that lasts a long time. But also, um, when, when you, these drugs, uh, really cause masses of release of dopamine in the brain, which is what people seek. But then when they come off of the drug, they're often dopamine depleted. Their brain is what we, what we say is down regulated. Um, there's receptor sites in the brain that, that receive dopamine that have been shut down. The body does that automatically to try to maintain balance in, in the brain. Um, and, and because of that, um, they fall into a state that psychiatrists call anhedonia. Anhedonia is just the inability to feel pleasure for a while, and and so people it it it, it so, looks. So let me let me sure. get let me get this right. So <clears throat> my son goes in, he's medically detoxed from his opioids, and and now a month, two months later, three months later, the part of this 18-year-old's brain and body where he used to be able to find pleasure is... Is impaired for a while. It's not working. Yeah, and not, not working like it should. Um, and, and, and not, so I'm thinking yeah. in his mind, yeah. in his mind, it's an easy answer. Drugs. Why well, I, I know yeah. how I yeah. know how to feel yeah. some pleasure. Yeah. So 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 there's the there's you know people that have tried these drugs that that and it registered with them in a positive way had a, a very strong emotional benefit. Their brain is is still telling them like get that right. So so they're they're pulled toward the rewarding effects of the drug, but then the fact that they feel miserable when they don't have the drug is also pushing them to go toward the drug so they feel better. So there's this positive and negative reinforcer both pushing them back toward the drug. And this is particularly true. And and, and when you throw like opioid, um, you know, sickness in, in the beginning stages of detox, when people are trying to kick cold turkey, which is a whole nother discussion, um, you know, people don't have to do that anymore. But like, then, then you have physical sickness on top of that. And, 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 and you'll do anything in the world to get out of that. And, and so it's really, it's really, uh, you know, this is why, this rewiring of the brain that happens is why it's considered a, a chronic relapsing disease. This is not a disease we can cure. It's a disease that can be put in remission, remission and maintenance. I've been clean 16 years. I don't have cravings anymore, but I mentioned in the training that on a stressful day, my brain still throws those memories up as a solution to deal with my stress. Like, you know, Hey, um, you know, alcohol could fix this, Michael. Yeah. Well, I have the power to tell it no now. Cause I'm not, a, I, I, my addictions in remission, but, but the memories are always still there and my brain still sees it as a solution, even though consciously that's my subconscious brain, even though my reasoning part of my brain can go, no, we've been down that road before. That's not an option right, anymore. Right, right. right. But when you're in your addiction, you can't do that. And in early recovery, it's very difficult to do that. Um, especially if, if, um, somebody's learned to use drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism, young, their brain is automatically going to default there. It becomes default behavior. It's just default behavior because their brain has been rewired. See, when when I hear when I hear you say that, when I heard you say that at at the training, 
it, it, it gave me a level of, of understanding and empathy that in the tough love counseling I was going to at the time didn't exist. Yeah. You know, to, to, to know that in the, in the best situation, my son's brain was defaulted to, to seek out, to seek out drugs. Right. He was, he was fighting, he, he was fighting this, this wonderful organ, right? That, that does everything else was sending him one direction and, and was doing, and frankly, he was doing really good. I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was winning the battle and it was a slow, but that's why it's a slow process. Uh, I, I get now, that's why you, we need months of out about patient treatment why there needs to be support groups that he's you know that 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 the person that's been in treatment is participating in why they need to uh eliminate uh, uh, probably all the old contacts of their of their drug using friends because it's just so easy to get back into it since that's the way that their mind is going that's the way that the brain is is taking them and directing them yeah, and, and, and drug use becomes a, a lifestyle. You heard me say um, that there's really no such thing as drug culture, like broadly yeah. speaking. However, um, I think that that's, that's part of thing. That, that's part of a public perception. Um, addiction doesn't care what you look like, what color you are, how old you are, what gender you are. It doesn't care. It, 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 there's no such thing as drug culture per se. But in the in particular um, person who's abusing substances, they have a little drug culture that they're part of. Right. Sure. And so they have to, uh, a lot of times giving that up is also emotionally difficult for them because especially if nothing else is established immediately to put in its place, this is particularly true of teenagers and people in their early twenties, because it's like, they're really tied to their friend groups a lot. Right. And, and, and so finding that and developing that young is, is, is challenging, you know, and, 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 you know, kids under the age of 25, their, their brains aren't developed fully and, and they're still very impulsive. Like they're, they're designed to take risks, you know, young, they're learning. And, and so it's harder, it's really hard to, to, uh, for them to give up the things that they need to do often to, to remain clean and sober. I want to touch on that, um, topic of, of tough love with parents. There's this perception. Well, some people have this perception is like, well, we want them to behave in a certain way. So we're going to like cut off the relationships and stuff in their life and until they pull it together. Um, I've seen that, I've seen that um, kill people more than once um, when parents, uh, you know, have been given that advice. Um, This is what I think is that parents sometimes and families need to pull back um, a certain amount for their own protection. If they're not doing well a little bit, you know, for their, for their own emotional protection. Um, But at, at all costs, I, I disagree with the notion that parents ever need to completely break contact with their child. You know, they should always be trying to help them, but but they need to work with professionals to develop what those boundaries look like. And everybody needs to have an understanding because, you know, a child that feels desperate in their addiction that's cut off, um, that can result in all kinds of problems. Yes. All kinds of problems. And, and you know, some kids can, can maybe, you know, get through it and survive it. And maybe, maybe some do change their behavior, but, but some don't and some get desperate, you know, that, that to me, that's very, that's overly risky. Also this idea of rock bottom, um, <laughs> that, that yeah. has been persistent in the recovery community for a long time. Um, all of that really meant was that people needed to come to an end of the end of themselves, but we don't really want people to get to a rock bottom state. They're the hardest people to, 
case managing, get clean and sober, to be honest. Um, sometimes it brings people to a place of readiness, but sometimes it just brings them to a place of significant life impairments that, that now have to be repaired in recovery, right? So the earlier we can intervene, the better. I can't stress this enough. We want to intervene as early as possible. Um, people do not have to hit rock bottom to get clean and sober. That is an old notion, and I wish it would go away. It's, it's <laughs> so, so, Michael, d- draw for us um, a, a couple of pictures as, as we close down here now sure. over the next few minutes. <clears throat> draw, draw for us a couple of pictures of how someone would, would utilize county services and okay. maybe do um, adolescents, uh, do adults, do, you know, and, and show us what that would look like and how they could – because that was one of the challenges I had. Sure. I didn't know how to how to find anything, and you just showed me tonight on a website where there are there's lots of, of, of programs that are available. We just don't know about them. So tell us about sure. them now. So so recent changes in in Medi-Cal, and by the way, 50 percent of our our county is is on Medi-Cal. So this is really pertinent. Um, one of the things that we were tasked to improve was access to treatment, and now somebody can literally can call one 800 um, four, uh, four, I think it's four, five, six, three, nine, three, seven. I can verify that later. Uh, it's, it's on the website and get a screening over the phone and get a referral to treatment from phone. If they qualify, it's that simple. It is not, it is not, I need to search a website. I need to find this, this, um, packet on the County website, which some people who aren't computer savvy may not be able to find. It's literally call, call a number. It's call a number and get a screening and you can get it for mental health or you can get it for, for SUD. Or if you know one of the programs and you're like, Oh, well, I know where West care is. I know where mental health systems is. I know where this program is. You can literally walk in the door and get a screening. So, so it's, it's, we've made it so, so easy to get a screening uh, for people. And there's accessibility. There's not a line around the block. No, no. In fact, our, 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 um, our 1-800 numbers underutilized. It's underutilized. It's been a problem. We have this number. We've been sending, um, you know, uh, social media out. We've been doing like, you know, presentations, including all of all our numbers are are on almost all of our all of the everything that we put out to the public, and it's still underutilized. So people can call these numbers now. This will link you to you know any number of our our county um, you know programs. But if you get there and you get assessed and you're like, hey, this program isn't for me and you have insurance, they'll direct you somewhere else. You know, it's 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 no wrong door policy with Fresno County. That's our policy. No wrong door policy. <laughs> well, guess what number is going to be added to uh, the Zachary Horton Foundation <laughs> website uh, tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just think access is easier than it's ever been. And and certainly we have a we have a whole community oriented system of care in Fresno that a lot of people don't know about. And I said this in the training, we have county funded programs, we have privately funded programs, we have faith based, you know, uh, recovery programs, um, you know, actual facilities where people can go. We have um, privately funded sober living, county funded sober living. We have so many resources in this county that a lot of people don't know about. And, and, and that's what Todd and I were trying to do is try to put it all in one packet so we can just say here. And if you have any questions, call one of us and we'll, you know, direct you where you need to go. Um, but if you know somebody who you think is struggling, it doesn't hurt to have them call and screened. You know, they're not good. You know, right, we can't right. force people into, into treatment, but maybe they, they get called and screened and say, Hey, you qualify for this level of care potentially, um, you know, here, here's a, here's a, an appointment or like, here's the address where you can go, or here's the contact number. 
And maybe when they're ready, they do call it. But then the family knows um, if, if the person on the phone chooses to tell them because, you know, they can't inform the family per se, but the person can call and then they have the resources. So it's not, it's not difficult to, to get into that process. It's just that the public doesn't know what's available. Right. Right. Well, and then I know that, um, at, uh, at, at Todd's uh, group at, at TLC, mm-hmm. they have a family group then that also helps treat the, the family. So the, the family that's struggling to give the family support right. through this process as well. And, uh, Todd was just on with us last time. So anyone hearing this can go back and check out, uh, Todd Harris's, uh, podcast where he talked a lot I, about I love Todd's program. I love Todd's program. Um, and just to just to let you guys know, family groups are usually part of most treatment anyway. Todd Todd does something very specific um, around around codependency, and, and it's a, it's a specialized group. But but you know, if you're a family member and the person going into treatment wants you involved, you will be involved, and and you and you can access like you know education and stuff at those treatment programs. Anybody working in the field of recovery knows how important it is to involve family and friends, collaterals is what we call yes. them, um, yeah. in a person's recovery to help sustain them long-term. A, a lot of times, uh, you know, people don't, maybe not choose not to bring people in, but it's it's never the program that's saying, oh, we only want to deal with you and not the family. <laughs> you know, no, no, no counselor feels that way. I guarantee it. I know most of them in Fresno. I've never met one that's, yeah. you know, that's that way. So, well, Michael, gosh, I, I I can't tell you how how uh, how exciting it is to have someone with with your background and and again with your knowledge base. So you have the background of, of addiction, you know that that drove you down, and now you have a knowledge base that's really second to none of people that of anyone that I've I've met here in the valley. And you're a resource yeah. that we have. So so again, uh, pastors that that are listening to this, you know, please please think about uh, getting in touch. Uh, with Michael and then uh, anyone else out there, you have uh, uh, questions, Michael, tell everyone how they can get in touch with you or how they can access your website. Sure. The, the you can, uh, it's my website. It's covenant training and consulting, um, www.ctc-sap.com. Um, I do, I do a family education. I also work with, you know, department of transportation, uh, uh people, but you can, there's a, a, a portion of my website where you can write me a note, tell me your name, you can call me uh, the, the numbers on, on the bottom of, of my contact page on there. You can, there's a, a variety of different ways to contact um, me on there. And if, if you need help um, and, or if you want some education and training um, we can talk about how you can get that. Awesome. You know, and, and I want to encourage everybody if, if, if you've liked what you've heard tonight and you want to know more about a specific area, uh, you know, shoot me, you know, go, go to our website, uh, shoot me an email, tell me what topic you'd like to have Michael back on to talk about next because I've got about uh, 17 of them rolling around in my mind right now. So, uh, but anyway, Michael, thank you so yeah. much for, for, uh, for coming out uh, uh, tonight and, and talking with us. This was just fantastic. Um, and for everybody else, uh, uh, like I always say, uh, find someone in your life today, right now, tell them that you love them. This is Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.